Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for allowing me to be a messenger of your message. And Lord, I understand and I pray that we all hear what the Spirit has to say. It is not me speaking. It is you and your word that changes lives. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would all be open to hearing what the Spirit has to say, how practically we can take your word and live this life you called us to be, that we would live a life that is pleasing to you, that brings glory to your name, that honors you, Lord, that you want the best for us, that you are our God. And I just thank you for that. I just thank you for this opportunity. I pray you bless this time and use it for the furthering of the kingdom in our hearts and through us to touch others. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, how many of you guys know the Boy Scouts or heard of the Boy Scouts or were a Boy Scout, Girl Scout? All kinds of people. Well, <laughs> well the Boy Scouts was actually started out by uh, a person named Robert Baden-Powell. And uh, it was started in the 1900s, early, early 1900s. And he uh, wanted a way to have men and women, or actually younger men and women, uh, people equipped to quickly respond to emergencies. And this was prior to what they called the Great War, World War I, that this actually came out. And he wrote a statement that the Boy Scouts was not to be a military organization, but a service-minded one, and would be called upon to play their part during the war. He wanted them to be a part of the lookout and, and be ready. So in 1907, he wrote in um, what is called Scouting for Boys, a little publication. This is their model. So he wrote that, their model would be, be prepared. Now, I don't know if you know that from times of Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts, but that is the model, be prepared. And actually, two years after that, in 1910, America started up Boy Scouts of America. And it was for the purpose during the war to be prepared, to be a lookout, to be those who are aware. He went on and wrote in there and says, uh, being prepared, he said, you are always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. And that's kind of what we're going to be going through today, is are you prepared? And, and the title of this message is called Ready for Battle. And as we go through, we're going to be covering 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. So that reads, starting at verse 3, For we walk, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not, are not of the flesh, but divine power. And then he goes and tells us why, or the purpose of this, to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
as we come into this, um, we're just going to go through basically two things. In my outline, I'm trying to keep my ideas simple here. First one is going to be, you are in a battle. And the second is, your weapons and your purpose, and their purpose in your life. So I want you to be aware, and as we said in the Boy Scouts motto, be ready, I think in a lot of ways that's the, the prompting for us, is to be ready. And as we begin in, in um, 2 Corinthians, we start with, right, uh, for though we walk in the flesh, we walk in this world, we walk in what we see. We are not waging war according to the flesh. So Paul's already telling us, this isn't everything. This isn't all there is. And he goes on in verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. So there's actually what he's telling us is there's two realities going on. That there is a spiritual warfare or divine warfare. And there's that which takes place in the physical world. And what I want to call us today is be ready for we are in a battle. We are in a battle of a spiritual warfare that most of us are unaware of. And I want you guys to be aware. And just like I'm a sports kind of guy, just like in sports, to be aware is to understand your opponent, to understand their schemes, what they are doing, right? What moves do they make during what, what situation? In football, which... Big fan, right? These guys, each week, coaches spending 20, 30, you know, 20, 24 hours watching film, studying what they're going to do, and planning what we can do to counter, but also what we can do to advance. So with that mindset, we want to be coming into this that realize, first and foremost, that we are in a battle, Right? Even though we are in the flesh, we have this battle that is going on. Francis Schaeffer put it that we are, uh, he wrote a book called Two Contents, Two Realities. Small little pamphlet, probably out of print. But what he talks about is there are two realities going on. And what we need to be aware of that even though the war has been won, Jesus Christ is the victor. He conquered sin, death, and Satan. He died on the cross for us, took this, our sin upon him, but rose again, right? He rose again in victory. The war is won. But what is going on? What are you talking about a battle going on? There still is an enemy who is loose, who has reign of this world. And he is challenging everything that is of Christ in our lives. So there is this battle, and we got to be aware of it. In Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. There is a battle, and we're being warned, we're being told. But are we listening? As an example of this, in 2 Kings, in 2 Kings chapter 6, you have Elijah talking, and Elijah's been frustrating the Syrian kingdom. Everywhere they go, he's set up, he's ready. He's like, they know, he knows what you're talking about. He knows what you even say in your bedroom, right? And so they find out where he's at. And they come to attack him. And they send all kinds of, of chariots and horsemen. And it starts in verse 14. It says, So one night the king of uh, Amram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And get this. This is what I want you guys to see in this. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside... There were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. And he said, Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. All he sees is the enemy. All he sees is all that is surrounding him, the physical. But Elijah then says, Do not be afraid, for there are more on our side than theirs. And don't you think this guy's going, what? I see thousands of horses, chariots, and men. What are you seeing? And Elisha then goes on and says, then Elisha prayed, verse 17, Oh, Lord, open the eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the eyes and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elijah was filled with horses and chariots of fire. That's the reality of what's going on. And as we come into this, I just want you to be aware, we are in a battle. That there is this going on in our lives. And so, who are we battling? Who is our enemy? Right? Just a uh, defense, we got to know who we're defending against. Actually, in offense, you got to know who you, you're going up against. So our, our, our enemy is Satan, right? Though him who was defeated at the cross is still battling, is still trying to take over. And he is real, right? We see in Genesis 3.1, that's when we first hear of him. That's when he first appears, in fact, Jesus references the devil, Satan, 25 times. And actually, in, in Matthew chapter 4, it talks about going head-to-head -head with him, battling with him, as we often uh, refer to that as, uh, you know, this battle that went on. And we see um, what he, how Jesus battles with it. We use that as an example. He's the prince of, of them, of the demons. He, when he fell, he took a third of the angels. And I want you guys to remember, he only took a third. So there's two-thirds with us. 
as we often get all caught up in saying, oh, he took the demons. The demons are here. Remember, two-thirds of the angels are on our side and following after Christ and doing what he is called to do. So who is this devil? He's a created being. So he's not God. He's created. He's an angel. He's a cherub, which is one of the supreme angels. Right? He's amongst the highest of all created beings. So where did he come from? He was created in perfection. A lot of this is in Ezekiel 28. He came from heaven. And that's where he dwells. And he, in fact, we also hear within Job of him going up and going to the presence of God. So he has this ability to go up and down between this world and that world. He's a guardian of God's glory. That's who he was. And what did, what caused him to fall? It was this upon him wanting to do his own, wanting to be above God, wanting to be God. Because if you see the attacks he has, he always leads us down those same roads. It's just how he disguises it, how he changes it, how he places it in their mind. Because the end, the end of it is, I want to be God. Right? And that's really the nature of his sin. And we often refer to that as the five I will statements. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the, the congregation in the, side of the, in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. His pride, his wanting of power, he wanted to have it his way. This is who we're dealing with. And what is his goal? Again, if we understand a little bit more of his strategy, we are able to defend. So what is his goal? We see in John 10.10, 10, he's defined. It's defined. It says, he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's why he's here. That's how he sees you guys. You Christians who are following after him. I, I just, in my, I'm trying to watch myself because I'm looking at my wife. She says, you lecture too much, okay? Um, I want you guys to be aware because I want you to be able to defend. I want this life of Christ to be something more than what we just walk through on this world. And we got to be aware. This is how seriously I believe we need to take it. He comes here to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his agenda. He comes to devour, right? In 1 Peter, he tells us, be sober, be vigilant, vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If a lion was walking around, and you see it, right, the physical world, how would you react? I'd be aware. I'd keep my eye on him. And hopefully keep him in front of me. 
right? Satan also is known as the deceiver in 2 Corinthians uh, 11.3. It says, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent, another um, name for the devil or Satan, serpent's cunning, your mind may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So he comes to deceive. He comes and uses that in your life. And what's the one thing we know about deceive? We don't know we're being deceived. Right? So if we are being deceived, there has to be something to wake us up, to bring us to this point that says, hey, I'm off track. I'm being deceived. That could be another person. It could be a message. It could be your study. It could be the Lord speaking through you, but you need to be seeking after him. He's, con- he's called a liar, right? The devil, because in John eight forty four it says, the devil, because there is no truth in him, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So obviously we can't trust him. What he has to say But often we follow along because we're deceived. And what's so, in the end, what's the truth of Satan's power? Right? So he is a created being. He can be one place at any one time. He is not God. He's not omnipresent. He doesn't know all things. Even though he has greater knowledge than we do, he doesn't have greater knowledge than God. He can be resisted, right? In James 4.7, uh, it says, Therefore, submit to God, right? That's the prerequisite. Submit to God. Resist the devil. That is something we can do. We can resist the devil. And he will flee from you. That's a promise of God. But do we take that promise up? And so we also see in Job, Job 1.12, that God places limitations on his ability to do anything. Again, we're talking God has an understanding much greater than what we perceive the devil to have, right? Because we often put him on the same pedestal. We've often put him on the same realm. He doesn't have that ability unless God allows it and God usually allows his things from the devil for our good and as a believer I want you guys to understand this we don't fight a fight to try to be a victor of this war this war has already been won we fight from a position of victory not of defeat not of woe is me, but a, a position of strength, a position of my God has completed and done all that is necessary and needed, and he's going to give me all that I need, all that is necessary. I just always uh, enjoy this. I, let me see if I put this one. In First Corinthians... Um, 
15, it says, in 15, 55 through 57, it says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Came across this uh, in, in our position, um, this quote from Dallas Willard. It says, Part of the problem with our faith today is that we do not truly believe in the reality of the spiritual, either the good side or the evil side. In our world, people maintain their sense of respectability by rejecting everything except what they can see in the natural world. To accept that there is more than that threatening their self-identity is pro- as proper um, intelligent citizen of this modern world. So we often hide, right? We, we, we say it doesn't exist or we're unaware. And what my heart today is that I bring awareness to you. I'm not going to solve all your problems. This is, you know, one message. I am just a messenger. The, the power in the whole thing, in all of this, is the word of God. And it's your responsibility. I am just saying, guys, we are in a battle. Be aware of it. And just like anything you're going to work on, you better have a strategy. You better have a defense. You better have awareness. I don't care if that's sports, building something. You better have a plan or else it goes awry pretty quick. C.S. Lewis has said, The greatest error when it comes to spiritual warfare is to think far too much about Satan or far too little about him. We need to have this balance. We, but how do we get that balance? It's awareness. It's what the word has to tell us, who he is, and what his limitations are. We have to know him. And that's your responsibility. So as we move on to just our second point, which is the major part of this, is um, what I titled, Your Weapons. And I'm trying to, along with that, define the purpose of each and every one of them. And as we read in 2 Corinthians, starting back in in verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of of the flesh, but have divine power, again, to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And as we go into this part, and where we're going to go, probably most of you guys have thought ahead, the armor of God, and we're going to review that. And I'm going to try to go through it fairly quickly. I'm not going to go in depth, but I want to define it for you. I want to tell you the areas where I see the attack coming and possibly areas where you can help yourself in this. But in this, in, in seeing this, when you look at each piece of the armor, I want you to be asking yourself, this is a personal question for yourself. 
Where does Satan attack in your life? And so why this piece of armor? How would I even use this piece of armor? What's the purpose of this armor? You tell me I have armor, but I don't even know how to use it. Okay? That's what I want you to keep in mind. So in a way, listen to asking the Lord, what are you saying to me? Where do I wrestle with these issues? So we're going to jump on over to Ephesians chapter 6. And just as a way of background, chapters 1 through 3, hopefully I'm going quickly enough. Um, I probably should keep an eye on my time, huh? Chapters 1 through 3, Paul is telling us, this is who you are in Christ. You are a brand new creature. You have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You've been sealed with the Spirit. And you have an inheritance. And God has made this brand new thing called the church, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles. Then in chapter 4, he goes on and says, In light of all that God has done for you, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. That's what he's asking of you. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And the word worthy here, we get our English word axis or balance. You know, the scales of balance. And it says in chapters 1, 2, and 3 that... um, that God has deposited in you all that you need, and so walk in such a way that you use that. All right? You are new in Christ. You're seated in heavenly places. You're loved more than you ever have been loved in your life. And that will never change. That's what he tells us. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now live in a way where your belief and your behavior say the same thing. That statement, I hope, sinks in with you. That what you believe is in the end how you're going to act. And you want to know where you're at? See what you do. You can say, I believe. But that's just words. It's your actions, right? It's your actions that show your faith, your belief. So then he goes on in chapter 4. He'll talk about what happened, what's the role of the church, um, how things occur. In chapter 5, he'll talk about walking in purity. He then goes on and how we walk in the light right, by being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what he then shows us in 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 different situations, in our marriage, with our children, with our employment. Back then it was slaves, right? And then after all of that, he tells us this new life and all those relationships we've just gone through and the Spirit of God living his, living his life out through you is going to occur in a hostile environment. And that's where we jump into in chapter 6. 
So chapter 6, um, so just saving the time, I'm going to just jump right back towards the armor itself. In chapter 6, it tells us, and it starts to stand, stand firm, right? The word stand happens a lot because he wants you to stand. He doesn't want you to fall. He doesn't want you to trip. He doesn't want you to stumble. He wants you to stand. Stand up against all these attacks that are coming your way. Why? I've given you what is necessary and needed to stand. It's up to you to appropriate that in your life. It's up to you, as it says, having, having, putting on. This is stuff that you have on. And don't get tripped up in the metaphor of this armor. Oh, I'm going to put the belt on. I'm going to put the breastplate on. And we start thinking in that. That is not the point of this. This is Paul saying, in my time, here's the best example I can show you. In our time, it may be a police officer. It may be a football player. It may be, you know, um, a fireman. Right? Jumps in, puts on his stuff, being ready, go. Wearing a helmet. Having protection. But in it, don't get weighed down by the idea that this is armor. Armor's so heavy. This is too much work. Get the idea of we are in a battle and I'm giving you what is needed and necessary. So let's jump in as we start um, verse 14. It says, stand therefore, right? We're called to stand, having girded your waist with truth. So this is often what we call the belt of truth. And again, I am just trying to do this, give you a definition, give you where he attacks and some things to think about. I don't want to try to say we're going to go in-depth in everything in this. We're not going to over-define it. Truth is candor, sincerity, truthfulness rooted in the objective reality of the truth of God's word. But here in this instance, it's referring to the subjective practical application. I know I'm mouthful, but it's this applying the openness and honesty in all things with God and men. It's being honest. It's being real. It's being true. It's not playing. Being authentic. It's being, this is who I am, but even more than who I am, this is who God is. Do you guys have an idea who God is? Have you ever stopped to think the creator of the universe, who, he who gives life and breath, he says, I'm with you? He's, he makes... I was looking this up, and there's not a real good number, so I'm just going to pick the one that kind of in the middle. There's probably more than 8,000 promises in the Bible. Promises. I'm not saying they're all good. You know, we might not all like them. But there's promises. He's making promises. And, right, just like he said, examine the prophet. If what he says doesn't come true, you're out. Examine God. I don't think he's, he's going to go, oh, shoot, you're examining me? I, no, no, uh, that's too much pressure. What he says is true, it's real, it's right. 
That's what he wants for us. So it's being authentic. It's being honest with God. And I think maybe one of the harder parts is being honest with yourself. Because we play games. We come to church. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. We come to church. We're often, I'm often probably the best of ourselves when we come to church. Because we don't want to look like we have a problem. We don't want to look like, you know, I just had a fight with my wife in the car. Close that door. I'm a different person. I start looking different. I start acting different. I'm happy. Hey, great to see you. How are you, brother? Be honest with yourself. One of the harder things you're going to have to do. Kenneth we said, the best truth is the man or woman whose mind will practice no deceit, attempt no disguise in their walk with God. What does Satan do? How does he attack us with this, about this belt of truth? He comes with deception. Right? It was the first attack on Eve. Did God really say... Is that really what he said? So challenging Eve to say, is God real? Is what he said true? Is the, he's, he's not, that, that's not right. He challenges us with deception. And this, again, when we're deceived, it's hard to see. So we need some some way to help ourselves. It's the, the church. It's the brethren. It's the body. It's your friends. It's your word. It's spending time with God because God's not going to let you just walk around, hey, I'm deceived. You know, I'm going to bump into the wall. I'm going to go this way when I should be going that way. He puts guardrails. Maybe sometimes he smacks you on the side of the head. And it shows up as, you know, that was hard. That was wrong. But again, if we're not seeking, it's hard to see. So the next part as we move on, so as we gird our waist with the truth, having put, put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. And this is really putting on that humility, right? It's the upright living. It's the integrity in one's lifestyle, lifestyle and character. It's conforming our will to God's will. That's what it is. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was to protect your heart, to protect your vital organs, right? That's its practical use. It's talking about being practically righteous. What we saw in the truth of the belt, okay, I keep pointing, and hopefully I'm not throwing you off, the belt is then lived out in your life. If you're real with God, and you have this real idea about God and the real idea about yourself, live in such a way your character shows that. Live in such a way that you show who you are. And in that, you protect yourself. You protect your heart. 
you guide, you guard yourself, right? It says, it's an upright, right living, integrity in one's lifestyle, conforming our will with God's will. The breastplate of righteousness, right, that God's my heart, is the practical application of the truth in our lives. It's allowing the lordship of Jesus Christ to be real in us. Not our own lordship, because that's what we do. That's the easy thing. I'm in control. I can do this. I got this. And where does uh, Satan attack us? He attacks us with accusations. He's the accuser of the brethren, right? With guilt and condemnation. That's how he attacks us. This happens when we willfully turn away from what we know. This is God's will. We willfully say, no, I'm not going to do that. I know you're calling me to do this. But I'm going to choose to do my own thing. And then what does that give the stronghold? Where we're supposed to be tearing down these strongholds is that guilt, that feeling like, oh, I blew it. And he comes and hammers you and says, see, condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. That's not what God wants. God didn't come here to condemn. He came to give us life and life everlasting. That's what he came here. You know what you, when you are obeying God, when, like in James 4, 17, it says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, in him it is sin. It is, and when I say sin, sin is just missing the mark. It's not doing what you know you're supposed to be doing, what God is calling you to do. We want our behavior to match what our thinking is. We have the belt of truth. Right living of what that is. As an example of that, the rich young ruler. Hopefully you guys know that, that little story that comes on. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus. What do I need to do to inherit the, the kingdom? Oh, you know, do these basically as we're covering the Ten Commandments, the last portion of the commandments that are to man. Don't commit adultery. Don't uh, covet. He goes, all these I have done from child. And Jesus then challenges him and says, Sell all that you have. And he went away sorrowful. He knew what was right. He was seeking what was best, but chose to walk away and say, that interferes with my idea. That interferes with what I believe. So as we move on, it goes on and tells us, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm reading from the New King James. Sorry. As uh, it says in the ESV, I believe, as, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given to the gospel of peace. 
And this readiness means establishment, a firmness, establishing where you are. These are, uh, in in the sense of, of, of sports, it's that cleats, right? It's, it's um, I don't know if you guys watched the Super Bowl this year. Big complaint. This, this field is terrible. I keep slipping. I couldn't find the right cleats. That's what it's talking about. Basketball. Hey, center up, be balanced. It's that firm foundation that you have. And in that, it conveys the idea of a readiness to share the gospel, which brings peace between God and man. Sharing the gospel, right? And if you understand the gospel, you understand your position. It's hard to talk about something you don't understand because it's easy for others to see. You don't even know what you're talking about. And you want me to follow after this? And Satan, where's his attack? He attacks grace with doubt. This grace of God, this gift that he has given you in eternal life with doubt. And so much of cults and even Christian churches put such an emphasis on works that that is the way to get to heaven. We then discount all that was done on the cross, all that Jesus Christ died for, and says, no, that's not good enough. He brings doubt on that grace that God has given us. So the question for you guys as we're going through this is, do you know the basis of your eternal security? Do you understand that? Do you know that? And the assurance of your salvation. Why am I assured? Why? Right? It is this testimony, these testimonies, right, that we see in 1 John, he says, in writing to the church, this is the testimony that God has given to us eternal life. Right? The word, the gift, eternal life. And this is his, in his, and this is life is in his son. Right? Now here's the main point. He that has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. You don't have the son, you don't have life. I'm gonna come out straight and say it to you. Reason why? I want you to have life. I want you to have the sun. I want you to know where you're going, that there is a heaven. Many mansions I have built for you. I wouldn't tell you this if, you're not, if they weren't there. I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me. That's my passion. That's what I want for you guys. I want you guys to believe that, to know it, to be secure in that idea that this is what I know. This is truth. This is my belt. I'm protecting myself because I'm living it out. I'm firm on my foundation in what I believe, that I have security and I have assurance. And I can tell you anytime, be ready in season and out of season to give an answer. 
And so in saying that, sharing the gospel is one of the greatest exercises you can do in getting a firm foundation. Sharing your faith in believing the power is in the message more than the messenger. So it takes the pressure off you to say, I got to look like this. I got to be like this. I got to do it like this. I got to sound like Pastor Rick. Don't sound like Stephen, but sound like Pastor Rick. No, because the power is not there. It's in the word. It's in the message that you are bringing. So as we move on to the next piece, verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith with which, with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And really relating to us in our uh, original verse in, in uh, Corinthians, right? This is where the weapons of our warfare are able to extinguish or tear down, destroy strongholds, lofty arguments, Ideas and opinions that are against our God. Going all over the place, I'm losing my place. So, the shield, the shield of faith. So, faith here is the absolute confidence in God. Absolute confidence in God. Faith. His promises, His power, His programs. All of that for our lives. That's what we're putting this shield up for. Although it's, okay, again, although it's rooted in objective reality of the gospel, right? That's the objective reality. Our new standing with God, this justification, this saving faith that we have, this faith that we're talking about with the shield is the faith that refers to a present faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for victory over sin and the host of demonic activity. Everyday life, what is your faith? Do you believe God can help you? Do you believe God is there? Do you believe in his promises? Even the ones you might not like. Count it all joy when you go through various trials. I don't like that one. But understand the purpose of that, of that statement. It gives opportunity to have joy. You get to see God moving in your life. He becomes real. He becomes what he truly is. And you start living in a life that says, this is my God. And what is the attack of Satan? It is his schemes, his temptations, it's his lies, it's deception, it's this attack on all of us that, that I'm going to sh- cause you to shift your trust away from the truth of God to something else. I don't, I mean, in, in, in Satan's world, I don't care what else. Money, position, power, possessions, Sex, food, I don't care. All I know is, talking from Satan's point of view, 
I can get you off seeking after the Lord. I'm doing my job. Because why did I come? Kill, destroy. That's why I came. I'm winning. I'm doing it. Right? So the goal is don't trust God. Because it says, it is impossible to please him apart from faith, right? In John, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. It's impossible to please God when we don't believe. What is faith? Faith is an action of what you believe. It's not saying it or stating it. It's actually believing it and doing something with it. That's where faith comes. So when Jesus was asked, what is the work of God in John 6? It says, this is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. This is what he's called us to do. Believe on him who he sent. And the only time we ever see Jesus Rebuke the disciples. He tells them, you of little faith. How often we see things and we are like jumping on it and doing it. Jesus wasn't, that wasn't his thing. It was to bring you to him. To trusting in God's character. To trusting in God's promises. Trusting in his word. But if you don't know his word, you don't know his promises, you don't know God. Hard to trust when you don't know So as we move on, next portion is, and take, verse 17, and take up the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation refers to the certainty of deliverance from sin and the protection of our mind in the battle. And again, this goes back to, in Corinthians, this take all thoughts captive, the battle for your mind, because how you think controls your actions, controls what you are going to do, and controls your ideas of who God is. It's the battle of the mind. And in this verse, it's talking about the helmet of salvation. It's something that he has to give to us, right? That we receive. We must allow God to do in our hearts and in our minds, this work. And how do we do that? By allowing the word to come in. By saying, Holy Spirit, you dwell within me. Help me. I need your help. I don't understand it. But I know you said, your word tells me, your character is, you're a good God. You're a just God. But you are also holy and just. All of that. Satan comes along and brings us discouragement. That's where Satan's going to attack us. He's going to discourage us. You're not good enough. But what, what do we read? And, and, and this has been, for me, my focus. In Romans, uh, where am I? Basically, in Romans 
um, 12.2, it tells us, Romans 12.1 talks about us giving our lives to him, fully giving us our lives to him, saying, you, I, I'm done playing games. I'm going to go. I'm going to do it your way because my way has not been working. Romans 12.2 talks about put away the things of this world. Renew your mind in the things of God. And when he says the things of God, how do we do that? It's reading his word. It's praying. It's seeking after him. It's fellowship. Because believe it or not, when you show up and you rub shoulders with another believer, as it says, as iron sharpens irons, you're going to challenge each other to grow. You're going to challenge each other, hey, I never really thought. Or more than that, you share along with the, the hurts and, and the things that are going on in people's lives. To walk alone was never the path God called us to. And in our minds, because we have not been renewing our minds, we think that's the best way. I'm going to hide it. People don't know. That's embarrassing. Let's go back to about the truth. When are we going to be honest? When are we going to be authentic? When are we going to be real? Because all of us, I do it myself, carry so much weight that is unnecessary, that it is not productive in your life. Due to the fact that I want to image cast, I want you guys to see I got it all together. Why do you think the word tells us to bring it to another? Bring it to your brother. Bring it to the Lord. To share the burden. Just the thought to say, hey, I am in this sin. I can tell another person instead of hiding it, instead of falsely looking like this or that. Oh, now somebody else is no. It just takes a little bit of the relief off of you. But you got to trust. you got to be discerning, right? It's not, hey, go on the website and tell everybody in the world because be discerning. But that is the deception you get when your helmet is not on. Who goes? There is no one goes into a football game without a helmet. You are not equipped. You need to be equipped, protecting your mind. Renew your mind. When, and this is the step for me, when will you say, I'm going to start believing the word? In fact, I'm going to start believing it to the point that when these attacks come, I have a reservoir of ammunition to fight against it. To say that, you know, I'm being challenged in, in my heart. Did God really say? To, are you going to trust God? He's a light. He's a shield. Psalm 84. He's a sun and a shield. For me, I tell you, I wake up every morning. Psalm 120, 121. I look onto the hills. I look up here and I go, I look onto the hills. 
Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He'll not let your foot slip. He who protected Israel will not let your foot slip. Do you have any words in you? Do you have the word in you? Because that is the ammunition you've been given. Do you have a storehouse of anything? Is it empty and the attacks come and you go, oh, nothing there. We got to be aware of that. Another quote from Dallas Willard, and this is a little long, so just bear with me. God always looks at the heart for two reasons. First, our heart is the source of our actions and life. Get that, right? Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? For from it flows the issues of life. He goes on and says, Dallas Willard goes on and says, Second, our thoughts are where Satan implies his trade. He governs through images. What are you watching? What are you seeing online, especially? Through ideas. Who are you listening to? What's the influence in your life? Through feelings and fear. Great one, right? When we're afraid, we often make some pretty bad decisions because we have nothing to battle against. From this complex arena of our mind and our heart comes out, of, comes out most of our actions. So this is the arena where Satan focuses his task. Right? This is where 90% of spiritual warfare happens in your everyday life. It's not the boogeyman. It's not this big oppression that comes upon you and, and, and you're seeing these weird things. Usually when you're up to that point, there, there is some big gains you're trying to make in your life, Christian life, in getting closer to God. Right? This is where the battle is. He goes on and says, here again, I remind you, human beings cannot be forced to do evil, nor can they be forced to do good. Our free will. We choose. Keep that word in mind. Choose. Choose this day. They must choose to do evil or good. Well, how then do they choose? And here's probably the main point of this. By being persuaded that one course of action is better than another. So Satan works upon the heart through the mind as he did with Eve and as he still does today. Protect your mind. Protect your head. I know, I'm going long. I'm going to try to wrap it up. The sword of the spirit, right? This is rhema. This is the word. This is the spoken word. The sword, it's, it's both offensive and defensive. Where does faith come into action when you're battling? Are you willing to say when you have this thought come into your mind and you throw out a verse? Right? And, I mean, this is one I'm memorizing. Do you memorize verses? Do you study the word? If you have nothing in the tank, it's hard to fight. 
In 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. And those are the areas where he attacks most. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Adam and Eve, Jesus in the wilderness, that's where he does it for us daily. You need to have the word. You need to be bold enough to say the word because you believe the word. You believe in where it came from and who gave it to us. And he's the one who said, this is how we do battle. This is the spiritual equipment. And then finally it ends up in saying, praying at all times in the spirit. And I cannot emphasize this enough. This is what keeps and activates the equipment, the armor of God. Warren Wiersbe says, prayer is the energy that allows the soldier to wear the armor and wield the and wield the sword. I often use this term. When we go into the, when we don't have prayer, it's like we bring a knife to a gunfight. So, as we see, going back to 2 Corinthians 10, I'm sorry I went long, and I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. It says, For though we walk in the flesh as mortal men, we are not carrying, our, carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh or using weapons of man. The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of, of fortresses. We are destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive, thought, every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. My heart in, in giving this message is we are aware. We are in a battle. You have equipment that you've been given. Now you have somewhat of an understanding where Satan attacks. That you go back and ask, in my life, where is he attacking me? And what am I doing with that piece of equipment in my life? I encourage you. Don't just see this. I mean, probably every pastor is thinking this. Don't just see this as just, oh, here's another thing. Here's another. My heart really is that. You understand. The victory is ours. But you have to choose to want to live the life. And I put this one thought in your head. If we believe God has created for us a path, and in our life, he wants to give us the best and, and what is great in our lives, that you might be the best version of you. Do you want to choose to do your own thing or you want to choose to do what our God, our creator has laid out for you?
So I just leave you with that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. I thank you that you just, oh, he's there. Lord, use your word to touch our hearts, to be open to you, to be honest with you, to, to know you more, to be filled with the spirit, to truly understand we are a child of God. We've been born again. All things are new. In your sight, we are as Jesus. And the power that rose Jesus from the dead lives within us. That you, Lord, are there and you are with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. Verses after verses after verses, promises after promises, you have given us. Help us to appropriate them in our lives, to apply them to our daily living, to our mindset, to our thought life, that we might glorify and please you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.